So, um, hello everybody. I'm Carol. I'm uh, with Joe, one of the uh, clergy team here, and it's great to see you all. Um, <clears throat> we're going to start with our Bible reading, which today comes from Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 20. And it says this. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. So, as you know, or you may not know, um, we're continuing a sermon series focusing on the practices of Jesus, which we see in those verses from Acts chapter 2 that were on the screen. Just if any of you noticed them, they were on there as we were all gathering. And we're relating these back to the characteristics of Jesus' life. And so far, we've looked at worship, generosity, sharing, food, and fellowship. And this week, we're turning our attention to the idea of gathering. Those verses in Acts 2 remind us of this, that all the believers were together and had everything in common. Every day, they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, for those early believers, this was a new pattern of life. We don't know specifically how many were together, but it was probably a reasonable number. And it was for a good reason. To be in community gave them both safety and joy. Which made me think about occasions when we gather together. Not just a few of us, but lots of us. Why do we do it? What do we get out of it? What purpose does it serve? And I was reminded of an occasion when many of us from this church have gathered together to go to New Wine. Now, those of you who don't know, New Wine is a week-long Christian conference held in a massive arena, and it provides an opportunity for everyone there to engage in worship, uh, Bible teaching, prayer ministry, teaching seminars, all that kind of thing. And literally, thousands of people gather. And they come from all over the country, and some even come from places abroad. And we gather in that one place for an opportunity to worship, learn, and grow in relationship with God together. Sounds great. And it really is. However, for some, like me, it's not all plain sailing. Now, most people, our church included, camp as church groups in tents with very limited facilities. And those of you who know me will know that this is not my preferred style of accommodation. And in fact, I didn't camp. I stayed in a caravan 
which was probably only marginally better than being in a tent, but it did have its advantages, and one of them is this. We've got it up on the screen. We had a fridge. Now, I went with Sandy, uh, who's sitting at the back here, working all the slides and, and stuff for us. And uh, Joanna Marlowe, who's also here, christened us the Naughty Caravan, uh, because we had other contraband too, as did others, such as wine and Prosecco and chocolate. And Sandy's apricot flapjacks, which I'm telling you, are amazing. It's worth going to New Wine just to have some of Sandy's apricot flapjacks. And to be honest, I needed something, since for the majority of times I've been to New Wine, it's been like this. That's the view from my caravan windows. Notice I was on the inside and not on the... A bit like this morning, really. It did remind me of New Wine. I even brought my New Wine raincoat with me, uh, which I bought when I was at New Wine because it was like that. So why did I do it? Why did I go to New Wine? I've asked myself this question many times. Why do I go to New Wine each year, stay in a caravan, and be freezing cold in August, I hasten to add, wet, and have to use some, frankly, quite unsavoury toilet facilities? And believe me, most years, Sandy and I would be driving to the venue saying the same thing to each other and agreeing this would be the last year, definitely the last year. And then on the way home, we'd be planning to go back the following year. And I think the answer is in the word power, which we've just heard in our Bible reading. There is a certain power in gathering together. It's a scientific fact that we laugh more at movies when we watch them with others than we do when we watch them alone. We get bigger thrills from action thrillers. We're more likely to cry during a tearjerker. We seem to behave differently in groups than we do as individuals. It seems there's a power in gathering together. And it seems Jesus knew something about the power in gathering people together. If we go back to our passage, the places mentioned in verse 17 are an interesting mix and say something about the power of Jesus in gathering different groups together. Judea is in the southern province and Jerusalem is located in Judea. It's the home of, it was the home of the temple and therefore the most orthodox Jewish leaders who represented the religious status quo. And in particular, they were the people who were the most opposed to Jesus and his, he and his teaching. On the other side, Tyre and Sidon are Gentile cities on the coast just north of Capernaum, which suggests the presence of Gentiles amongst the crowd. And together, those four places emphasize the breadth of Jesus' ministry from the far north to the far south, from Orthodox Jews to Gentiles, Jesus' ministry was to ordinary people in ordinary places, bringing the message of God down from the mountainside to the places where it was needed with the people. And there's also different groups gathered together. We've got the apostles, we've got the crowd of disciples, and then the great multitude, each with a different reason for being there. 
The apostles had been chosen by Jesus to become those who were sent out to be leaders of his church and build his church after his crucifixion. They were gathered around Jesus because they needed to learn from him how to do it. These are the ones who are being trained in kingdom advancement. They're the committed ones who needed to understand what a Christian believes and how a Christian is to behave if they were to be his ambassadors in the world. And next we have the group of disciples. They are the crowd. The term disciple is equivalent to today's title, student. These were those who were interested in listening and learning from Jesus. They came for the right reasons. Many probably had been traveling with Jesus and the others listening to what Jesus had to say and trying to apply it to their lives. And then there's the great multitude of people. This group perhaps were those who were not really that committed. Some were new perhaps and were just recently exposed to Jesus and his teaching. Perhaps in time, some of this group would become committed followers and disciples themselves. Most from this group, however, were just there for what they could get from Jesus. They are the curious. A bit like all those gathered at New Wine. And perhaps in many of our churches today, we might see a similar blend of people. They all came. Those who opposed him, those who already loved him and had given their lives to him, and those who were still asking a few questions. There must have been something about Jesus and his message that meant they all wanted to be there, on the plane, in the hot sun, standing next to people they didn't know or like or agree with, definitely with questionable facilities, to listen to what Jesus had to say and to be in his presence. Because the power in this gathering comes from Jesus himself, and it's a supernatural power. Jesus demonstrated this power in his healing of mind, body, and spirit. If we look back to chapters 4 and 5 of Luke, we've already heard about how he's driven out an evil spirit. He's healed a man with leprosy. He's healed a paralytic. He's questioned the law of the Pharisees, and he's eaten with a sinner, Matthew, the tax collector. What does that mean to us? Well, it means that he is God, because only God can do these things. He is the Savior and Redeemer who can and will give us a perfect mind, a perfect body, and a perfect soul. Jesus says, look, I can do that. I can bring the truth to your mind and give you peace. I can bring wholeness to your body and take away illness, sorrow, and sadness because I am the one with whom you can have a new life, whoever you are and whatever life you have lived up until now. I have come down to be with you, all of you, and I love you whoever you are. This is the power of Jesus. He wants us to gather around him, whoever we are, to experience this power for ourselves. 
Verse 18 in our reading tells us that they came to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him. They knew something of the power that was coming from him, and they knew it was different. I don't know where you are or who of these three groups you might identify with, the committed, the curious, or the crowd, but we know Jesus is the fullest satisfaction of our soul. Jesus told the people he was the bread of life. He is the one who provides meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction in life. And there's power in what Jesus says. He begins his teaching in this passage with, Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Here, he's telling us how things work in the kingdom of God, where injustice will be righted. Jesus describes a reversal that is simply a matter of fact, painting a picture of a mirror image world where everything is backwards, where the rules are the opposite of what we might expect or know. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God are very different. They're diametrically opposed. We know how things work in the kingdom of this world, and it definitely feels like it's the rich who are blessed, and injustice reigns. What you see in God's kingdom is not what you get here on earth. Imagine how powerful a message that would have been then, and still is now. Jesus came to prepare us for life in the kingdom of God. He's telling us what to expect. As followers of Christ, we are expected to play by different rules. And here, Jesus is explaining to us what those rules are. And 2,000 years later, we're still gathering because of the power of Jesus. When we gather at New Wine or here at church, we all come with our different opinions, views, and experience of Jesus, but we still expect to encounter the risen Lord. And like those early followers, we want to be touched by him, to be healed by him emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And we receive his healing touch because of the power of Jesus' death and resurrection in the forgiveness of sins and the hope of salvation through him. We don't just gather to attract. We gather to empower, to be filled, shaped, encouraged, strengthened, forgiven, and to be loved for who we are through the power of Jesus. Perhaps sometimes we come to church as committed, sometimes as the crowd, and other times as the curious. But we are the church, but we are also his church, and apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we lose our purpose, our worship, our instructions. We can forget the rules, but through him, we have a purpose, and that is to reach out to those who need help, the suffering, the lonely, the afflicted. And when we gather together, we're reminded of this and strengthened again in our resolve to do this. 
Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 20, where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. The gathering is to his name, in his interests. That is the object, and he is the center, and grace has made this provision even for two or three. And this power comes when we meet with Jesus through the Spirit in the worship and the Word and in times of prayer. And we also meet him when we share communion, when we come to the table where Jesus is the host, where we break bread, and we might not know who we might be sharing it with, but we are strengthened by his body and forgiven by his blood. And this happens when we gather together at his table, where all are invited and none are excluded. Those early believers understood that being a Christian isn't a life to be lived alone, but within effective relationships and family, acknowledging our similarities and not our differences. As David reminded us two weeks ago, the church must be a place where people are welcomed and where they belong. We come as we are, imperfect and broken and in need of love. We all need to know that we are loved and have a place to belong. God invites us into relationship with him where we are forgiven and welcomed as a member of his family. Because the same power that was evident when Jesus gathered people together for that sermon on the plain is still there when we gather together as a church. We are stronger when we gather together because we have the power of Jesus in our midst as the Holy Spirit moves amongst us. I was reminded of an analogy of a piece of coal in a fire. When a piece of coal is in the fire, it burns bright and strong because it has other coals around it. And together they create that heat and warmth and light. But if you take a coal out of the fire, then its heat and light and warmth will slowly ebb away. So we need to be in the fire to keep our power. If this last year has taught us anything, it's the power in gathering together, as well as the loss of that power when we're separated. It's time to reconnect, to worship, and to learn with and from one another, to be introduced to new people and reconnected with friends. It's an opportunity for personal, spiritual, and ministry enrichment, and it's an opportunity to receive love. And that's why I probably will go back to new wine again, despite the caravan and the weather and the discomfort. It's because I feel the power of Jesus working in that place. And I'm reminded of everything that is possible with him. And I can see that power working in me and in others as we pray, learn, and worship together. And it's why we gather here on a Sunday morning, because we meet with Jesus and we are transformed. We can't help it when we meet with Jesus. We are transformed, we're healed, and we're reminded of his love for us. And that gives us the strength to continue to work out his purposes and bring his kingdom here on earth. Gathering can be ritual, can be obligation, 
can be desire or it can be habit. But regardless of the reason, gathering is essential for life, for life abundant, and for discovering and deepening our Christian way of life. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that uh, when we gather together, you are here. And when we gather together with you in our midst, we are on the receiving end of your power. Whether we feel it or not, you are here and you are the powerful one. So during this quiet time, I just ask that you would draw near to each of us. Come by your Holy Spirit. Remind us of your presence. Remind us of how much you love us. Give us a sense of your healing power. And Lord, we pray that we would be connected, keep us connected to you and to each other that we could be those coals in the fire creating heat and warmth and light to everyone around us. And may we draw strength from you and from each other. Amen. So let's stand and worship together.